Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 38 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. If you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we thank you for listening and uh, subscribing to the show. It's greatly appreciated as we know there are a ton of options to listen to these days. Joining me today is the returning Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you? Oh, I'm glad to be back and to watch wrestling, getting caught up on everything after missing a couple of weeks. But glad to be back, buddy. I'm glad to have you back. Thank you. That sounded, your voice cracked like you were not sincere. (laughs) That was me trying to get a drink of water into it. It was like a question, like you were uh, Ron Burgundy reading off the the teleprompter there. And not good. (laughs) (laughs) Classic Dan Patrick show humor there. But yeah, no, no, very glad to have you back. It was, it was good though. I got to do a couple shows with Steve and I hadn't talked to him in a while. So uh, you know, he did a good job filling in and we got to reconnect a little bit. And uh, now you are back bitter and... Steve Cook. I know. So he's, but, uh... he's become a bitter old man lately. <laughs> yeah, well, it happens to all of us. It's uh, understandable at times. But what are you going to do? Very fair. Wrestling, depending on what you watch, can can be uh, not so good right now. But we're going to talk about some good stuff later on in the podcast because we got the G1. That's right. We're going to talk a little Raw reunion. We're going to talk about uh, Seth Rollins trying to be the company man and uh, lots of G1 stuff to catch up on in audio form, and it uh, should be a good time. But, uh, yeah, that is the plan for today. So, Jeremy, we'll start off with Raw reunion, and uh, I guess we'll just kind of go through the show here. We start off, uh, John Cena was back. Love John Cena. And uh, it was it was uh, he, he kind of joked that he had been gone for a while, and everybody seemed to love him. And uh, it was nice to see John back because he's been gone for a while. And uh, kind of surprised they didn't have any new spiffy merchandise uh, out for him because WWE normally does that like every time he comes back. But so he was uh, he was all happy to be there. He you know hyped the show a bit, and uh, the Usos arrived, and uh, they wanted him not to leave. They wanted him to bust some rhymes. He tried to refuse, but they said the fans want the Doctor of Thugonomics. And not the guy that left for the movie business. So that led to Cena busting on them for uh, the arrest and mugshot from the one DUI the dude had. And uh, he tried to leave, but Rikishi came out. He refused Cena to leave because he wanted to dance. But the revival and true asshole heel form interrupted the routine. They were joined by Devon Dudley, and that led to our first match. So what did you think about seeing John Cena in the first segment? I always love when John Cena returns. I know people, you get sick of him and everything, but every time this guy returns, he he makes the show feel special again. And he's like a bona fide Hollywood star now. It's it's not like he's doing, you know, straight to DVD movies and stuff. Like he's doing big time movies. And so he feels like a big deal when he is there. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for the Doctor of Thugonomics gimmick. I like the rap that him and the Usos did. And I thought this was a, a good use of somebody like John Cena. You put him in there on the mic with uh, an established tag team like the Usos and, and another team was just very good on the mic. Like the Usos promo work might be the best of any tag team in wrestling right now. Um, and it, you know, it gets everybody over. So I really enjoyed this segment. Yeah, it was nice to see John back. Uh, there was a lot of uh, 
a lot of speculation on if he would actually make the show or not. And uh, it was a nice, uh, not really surprise because it was announced early in the day, but it was a, in a way, it was a nice surprise to have him back. And yeah, it was a good way to start it off because you get him out there early because he likely had to go for filming something because I know he pretty much left right afterwards. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, you get him out there, you get, get a little segment in with him. And yeah, I mean, I it was nice to see him back and it was it was a fine opening segment. You're underselling my man John Cena here. The GOAT. The all-time GOAT. Okay there, Corey Graves. Michael <laughs> Cole. But, uh, so that led to our opening tag match, which was the Usos versus the Revival in a non-title match. Uh, apparently Rikishi and Devon were supposed to get physically involved, but, uh, there were many legends throughout the day that were not physically cleared to compete, and apparently Rikishi was not healthy enough and physically cleared to do a stink face. Yeah, that's not a good sign. Yeah, it's probably bad. But uh, they had a match a little under eight minutes. The Usos won. A solid tag match, which will likely lead to a rematch at SummerSlam. It was fine. Um, these these two teams can can do better. Wrestling wasn't really the, the theme. Are we going by this show segment by segment? We're going to take five hours to do this show. No, we'll kind of breeze through it. It won't take <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm going to skip a lot of the backstage stuff, but like, you know, random okay. backstage stuff. Although we did have uh, some hilarity with the 24/7 title. Uh Truth and Carmella were interviewed. Uh Drake's wife distracted Truth, Drake won the title. The Godfather r- arrived and the best part was he got Charlie to dance. He can't say ho though. Yeah, he couldn't say ho train. He just had to do the everybody board the and let the crowd say. It. But at least the crowd said it with him. So that was good. Um, Drew McIntyre beat the shit out of Cedric Alexander for beating him last week. That's was- fine. Uh, I drew. They're never gonna pull the trigger on this guy. I've given all. I've abandoned all hope. Yep. Drake Maverick ran into the Boogeyman, which led to Pat Patterson winning the twenty four seven title. Uh, Christian joined commentary. I'm still upset he never got a proper send off. Yeah, Christian, get this man in the Hall of Fame or something. There's. Always a big Christian mark, and they, they didn't give him that big send-off. Th- this guy should be a a bigger legend than they treat him, and God knows they they need like stars who actually feel like stars nowadays. Well, the worst part is, is technically his send-off was that segment with Edge and Seth Rollins and them when uh, Seth Rollins threatened to like break Edge's neck with a chair, and he's like, you two guys are retired. And that was like the first time on screen it was mentioned that Christian was retired. And that was like forever ago. But like, yeah, he never got a proper send-off, which sucks. But he joined commentary. The Viking Raiders killed Ryder and Hawkins in under three minutes. Good squash for them. They're just, hopefully they eventually do something with them. Because they're awesome. Yeah, I'm fine with these squash matches. Uh, Like, they just beat the former tag team champions. Uh, Weren't Hawkins and Ryder the last team to hold the titles before the revival. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- this should lead to something for the Viking Raiders. It probably won't. It should. Should lead to something. Backstage, uh, Maria Canellis buried Mike Canellis as usual while Eric Bischoff tried to recruit him to SmackDown. Good work already, Eric. Nice job, buddy. Ron <laughs> Simmons appeared, gave him a damn into Jimmy Hart's megaphone. Uh, Briscoe did a phantom title change, beating Pat Patterson for the 24-7 championship because Pat couldn't take a bump. And Kelly Kelly appeared, low blowed Briscoe, and won the title. God bless Kelly Kelly. Yep, she was looking good. She was looking good. So uh, Samoa Joe came out, cut a really good promo as usual, which led to a confrontation with Roman Reigns. 
Uh, they brawled, and then it set up a match. And Roman Reigns beat him in under six minutes. The match was fine. <laughs> oh, my God. What Go sucked ahead. is, is like, this whole promo and stuff, this should have felt like it led to, like, a couple weeks angle and maybe a SummerSlam match. But they just did it here on Raw with no build, and Joe lost again. Like they've they've done Joe and Roman before, and it, it was good, and it, it was a similar theme of you know who's a real Samoan and your family and stuff. I love Samoa Joe. This guy might be the best promo in the company, and all he does is lose. He truly feels like Babyface Miz, where Babyface Miz cuts a really good, passionate promo, and then he fucking loses to Shane McMahon. I I don't understand why this guy loses so much and he's not like you can heat joe up and make him seem credible but no one buys him in the in these big matches like you've got to give this guy some some halfway meaningful victories yeah it'd be really nice but uh don't seem like that's what they're doing with him it's a shame yeah Miz TV with Seth Rollins was was next. Seth Rollins did a really bad Paul Heyman impersonation. Oof. Talked about beating Brock Lesnar at uh, SummerSlam. Heyman came out. Seth threatened him. Paul ran away. Uh, and Seth said, I'm not taking nights off. And that he's going to uh, beat AJ Styles. This uh, promo from Seth was not good. It was fine to hype Rollins and Lesnar. But yeah, it was like, it was there. So, uh, Sammy interrupted Charlie trying to interview legends, legends and mocked the whole reunion thing. Joe did that earlier, too, which made them baby faces in my eyes. Yeah, Rey Mysterio defended the Legends, and then they set up a match for later. Kelly Kelly lost the Divas title to Candice Michelle because Melina had secretly trained to become a referee. And then Medusa attacked and sort of choked her out standing up and <laughs> won the title, and then she rambled a bunch of butt, bunch of butt stuff and nobody knew what the hell she was saying she was drunk yeah she <laughs> you can't invite medusa to these parties because we saw it at nwa <laughs> and then we saw it again here uh there's clearly no no limit and, and medusa will, will take advantage of vince's tab here obviously so uh ray mysterio then beat Sami Zayn in five minutes they were having an okay match and then um, Sami Zayn tried to bail, which led to Rob Van Dam, Sergeant Slaughter, Hurricane, and Kurt Angle all coming out. Chased him back to the ring. Ray hit a Ronda 619 and a frog splash and beat him. It was okay. Impact, Impact yeah. superstar Rob Van Dam. Yeah, who's apparently not under a contract, I guess. He looked high out of his mind as well, and yeah, good did. on him. So, hey, if he got a payday, I guess good for him. Uh, it was more about trotting out some more guys to get screen time. Ric Flair arrived in a limo. It looked like he had bladed himself for his appearance, so he was going old school. Uh, Street Profits bantered backstage. Dawkins made Ford jealous because he was hanging out with all the legends. And poor Montez Ford looks sad, but he goes home. He was getting Bianca. high with Rob Van Dam. Yeah. But, you know, Montez Ford goes home to Bianca Belair, so I think he's okay. Yeah, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling bad for that guy. That's right. Um, Medusa arrived, and they teased reliving the whole throwing the championship in the trash can thing, which led to the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase making a cameo, offered to buy the championship, and successfully did so, so he's the new 24-7 champion. I like how you can just buy the title. If Jack Tunney was alive, <laughs> this shit wouldn't fly. I actually like this segment. Like we knew it was coming with the whole trash can thing, uh, but I like the DiBiase coming out and just deciding to buy it. 
Yeah, that was funny. So, uh, U.S. champion AJ Styles battled Seth Rollins. Seth ended up winning by DQ. They were having a match. Uh, the OC, now they're being called, got involved, which led to Seth's angry uncle, Shawn Michaels, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley arriving to even the odds. Uh, they finished the match. It was a DQ. Uh, DX and the OC hit the ring. They teased uh, two sweeting each other because AJ said, we're the same brother, and they were like, nope, and gave him crotch chops, which led to a short brawl, and then Road Dogg, X-Pac, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash, who did not get NWO music and are just apparently DX flunkies now arrived. Uh, Road Dogg said that they're the OGs. The click tells him to get to stepping, and the OC left. And then Seth got to do the big, if you're not down with that, suck it line. And according to uh, Dave Meltzer, this was supposed to be for Ricochet. But he has an infected elbow and was not cleared to be on the show to do anything. And that sucks because Ricochet could have, I guess, used this. Like, I don't know what this actually does. If If Ricochet was involved, what would it actually do for him? Remember when the club embraced at Raw 25 and... It, what did that actually do for for those guys? Like it didn't do anything. It, it, getting this kind of rub isn't an actual rub because it, it's it's Triple H. So <laughs> no one no one cares about this dude. Um, I get it's better that the OC didn't eat the finisher buffet. They just kind of walked away. Like they looked like geeks for it, but eating the finisher buffet wouldn't have done them any favors either. Uh, it would have just been cool if they just took out all these old fuckers and, you know, actually got some guys over. But that's too much to ask. Yeah, that's not the goal of the show, man. I'm not allowed to get the, the uh, current roster over. So, uh, Drake Maverick beat Ted DiBiase up inside his limo to win back the 24-7 championship. The Geeks chased him away, which led into the Mick Foley segment. He did this cheap pop. Drake and the Geeks ran through. Fully vowed to win the title later that night, but uh, that did not happen because Bray Wyatt arrived and choked him out with the mandible claw. The only new guy to really get over on this show over anybody of note. Yeah, this was this is what this show should be used for if you're going to bring back these these legends. And Bray looked like the biggest star as far as the current roster goes on the night because he actually took out a legend and i'm sure this was like a foley idea just being willing to put someone over and i wish more of the legends like had this mindset or were asked to do this because it'd be very useful if again like the oc just like why the fuck can't they beat up road dog and waltman waltman will bump for people still hall and nash can fall over maybe um like, why can't you you put some of these guys out like that? Uh, th- this is good stuff. I love this segment. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I wish it could uh, happen a little more. Like, I'm not saying you need to sacrifice every fucking legend, but I think what the point we're trying to make is just the fact that there's, there's a reason when these people come back that everybody goes, well, none of the current stars are as good as these guys, and that's because they're never allowed to, and they're not allowed to look on their level or really get over on them. And the Bray Wyatt thing was like an aberration. It like never really happens that much. So the fact that it happened was at least good for him. So I was happy about that. At least on this show, no legends really completely destroyed all the the young guys. I guess Ray and Sammy would be the only real example. And even Ray is a a current active person. So it's not even a a great example. Uh, Because usually... 
you know, they, they do eat that finisher buffet and, and they, no one looks good off of that. Or like the rock comes back and just buries everyone and, and Rusev never gets his heat back or anything. So at least, at least we didn't get that, but yeah, it'd be nice if just the current guys got to take out these legends a little bit. You don't even have to sacrifice like the top legends. Like you had so many people there and you couldn't just like do something to somebody. I guess a lot of them couldn't take a bump, but you know, like couldn't Drew McIntyre lay out the boogeyman or something? Like who's that hurting? Yeah, really. By the way, speaking of and I use air quotes here, legends. It was really weird seeing Alicia Fox just randomly backstage <laughs> grouped in with all the legends and stuff. It's like I like I guess it's better that she's not wrestling, but just really weird. Yeah, I mean Alicia Fox is a is a legend of in her own mind and in the minds of some, so it works. So, uh next up was a moment of bliss with uh, Alexa Bliss bringing out Becky Lynch. They talked about facing Natalia at SummerSlam and of course Natalia arrived right away. They argued, showed footage of last week's promo. Becky said Natalia tried to under, undercut her by training Ronda Rousey to beat her, but Becky said she took Ronda's scalp at Mania. Referees separated them. They brawled. Uh, I thought it was like an okay angle to build in a match. I'm not really excited about an Natalia pay-per-view match, but my big point was, do you guys remember when Oscar beat Becky Lynch at, at the Rumble and people said it's because they wanted to have Becky set up with viable challengers when she was champion? And then they, you know, just had Charlotte beat Oscar, and then they did nothing with Oscar, and then Becky feuded with Lacey Evans and now Natalia. I didn't watch last week because um, of everything going oh, on. Oh, so you missed the twenty-five minute horrible four-way women's match. I missed. I legit like I missed it, and, and I had no desire to rewatch it. I saw Natalia won and was going to be challenging Becky at SummerSlam. And I legitimately thought it was a joke. I was like, there's no way they're actually doing this match. Like, they, they cannot do this match. And then I forgot it was in Toronto. And I'm like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Like, she's getting this match literally because this show is in Toronto. Like, if this show is in Los Angeles, you're not putting Natalia in this spot. And it's funny because Becky is in yeah, or Charlotte is going to get the, the Trish Stratus match, it looks like. And it's like, you couldn't give Becky that match. It, you give her Natalia. I feel so bad for Becky. She was the hottest act in the company, male or female, through the last half of last year and, and the first um, part of this year. She main events WrestleMania. She beats Ronda Rousey. And they put her in fucking feuds with Lacey Evans, Baron Corbin, and Natalia, and stick her with uh, Seth Rollins, who has no on-screen on-screen chemistry with, despite them dating in real life. The, this poor woman, she is just falling off a cliff with the shit they've given her. But apparently, if you listen to the naysayers, it's all Becky's fault because she's not that good anyway and wasn't really over. Yeah, imagine getting good matches out of Lacey Evans, who had worked like five matches on the main roster before all of this. Like, uh, now Be- Becky is great. Like, she got herself over. She could work. Like, go back and watch the the Charlotte and the Oscar matches. Like, she's really good. No one's getting over facing Lacey Evans. Like that Charlotte Lacey Evans match uh, on SmackDown or Raw, whenever it was. Like that match sucked. You're going to tell me Charlotte's not good because she had a terrible match with Lacey Evans as well? Well, apparently that's the case, Jeremy. 
I don't get it. People are stupid. Yeah. So Drake Maverick was trying to escape with his wife in a limo, but R-Truth pinned him to win back the championship, and then he hopped in the limo and peeled away with Drake's wife, and poor Drake was left there telling... He was, thought he was talking to his wife and said, it's going to be okay, honey, and then realized he was talking to Carmella. And that poor bastard. Carmella is, like, the best friend in the world because I saw people say, like, oh, well, Kelly Kelly won the 24-7 title. Women can win the title. What's Carmella waiting for? Maybe she's just a really good friend, people. And she proved it here because Drake was holding on to his wife and Carmella kicked his hands. And then as the limo sped off, Carmella just left standing there. If this all leads to Carmella finally getting sick of it and winning the title, it's the best storyline WWE has done in years, and that's including the Kofi storyline. Yeah, I, the, I love the Carmella Truth pairing. They're just fun. So, and they're over. Friendships and, in wrestling. Yeah, who, who who the fuck knew friendships can work <laughs> in wrestling? Yeah. So uh, Braun Strowman then killed a young man. In 45 seconds, it was glorious. Darby Rhodes. Uh, actually, in my recap, his name is Jeremy Boots and Tights. Oh, so it's my brother. Yeah. Okay. He looked like Darby Allen, and I guess his last name was Roe, and Corey Graves said Rhodes, and they all had a great laugh over this, and Michael Cole just could not contain himself. And I don't know if it was an accident or not, but uh, yeah. Good shit, pal. <laughs> but it was it was just it was a great little squash. I mean, just Braun hit all the shit. He tackled him, threw him across the ring a few times, hit a big boot, gigantic choke slam, and yes, this young man died. So good stuff. And then we closed out with the big toast of Monday Night Raw. Ric Flair came out. They did not give him a live mic, which was probably for the best. Unfortunately. <laughs> and then all a bunch of the legends arrived on the stage. Hulk Hogan came out. Let me tell you something, brother. Great to be back here. Jack, Hulkamaniacs, Tampa's awesome. Thanks to fans. Steve Austin arrives, gets like the biggest pop of the night. See Steve Austin. Heads to the ring and poses, busts out his coolers. It's beer time. Plays to the crowd. Everybody loves Steve Austin. I'm no different. But, I mean, he gave a nice little speech about everybody being his family and the road and ring crew included and the fans. And he hung out with Hulk Hogan and recorded a podcast, drank beer and ate sushi. Listened to Ric Flair's stories. He drank all the beer in the bar. Then he went and ordered a bunch of room service, met with Ron Simmons, and then a bunch of other dudes, and he had a good time because he didn't want the night to end. Then they were closing the show out, and then Steve Austin randomly decides he has a story to tell about Gerald Briscoe with, like, under a minute left. They were talking about being in South Africa, and then he realized time was running out, so they all drank, and the show ended with a big final cheers, and everybody looked like they were having a good time. I like how Austin is like, I got a minute left. Let me go into this story about Joe Briscoe. That's not going to have a conclusion. This man did not care. And I mean, why, why should he? He's Steve Austin. I was waiting for like Undisputed Era to attack um, foolishly. I, I didn't actually think it would happen, but I was like, oh man, this, like, this is the time to, to shoot this angle. And, you know, nothing happened. They, they sent everyone home happy, like, fine. It, I don't like this uh, self-indulgent nonsense. Like, 
Austin gets away with it because he's Steve Austin, and, and yeah, we're, we're all Steve Austin marks. If Roman Reigns comes out there and cuts this exact promo, like, isn't he buried for just being, like, a WWE kiss-ass and, uh, you know, just putting everybody over and using a bunch of buzzwords? Like, if anybody on the current roster cuts this promo, they, even if John Cena cuts it, like, they're just looked at in a different way. But Austin cuts it and people are like, it's Steve Austin. Who gives a shit? Um, I, I didn't, it was whatever. I, I don't like the self-indulgent stuff though. I, I was, I wasn't around for the, the fight for the fallen review, but that final segment with, uh, the elite donating the check and stuff like I, I didn't care for that segment and I get it. You have to do it, but I don't want to see it. Like, tell me how great you are by putting on an actual product that I like and enjoy, not by saying how great you are and, you know, throwing a bunch of charity money and and stories and buzzwords at me. Yeah, that would have been nice. So, uh, overall, Jeremy, what did you think of the show? Um, it was like every other kind of reunion show where they bring these people back and, they don't actually like set up anything for the future. Like that was my biggest takeaway. And they, they popped a rating, which they should have popped the rating. But if you were a fan who hasn't watched in a while and you watched last night, like what did you see that made you say, Oh, I got to tune in next week to see this. Like Bray Wyatt is the only thing that I can think of where I'm like, yeah, I got to I got to tune in next week to see this guy. Dustin James actually texted me and Dustin hasn't watched wrestling in forever and he's like, "I don't watch anymore, but I saw this Bray Wyatt thing and this looks awesome." And that's really the only thing I can point to where you're like, "Yeah, this is something I'm tuning in to see next week." Everybody else just all right, it's it's stuff happening, but nothing that's holding your attention or engaging with you. Yeah, I um I was not a fan of the show. Um, like I wrote in my review, WWE is basically burning through all of its panic moves before they even get to Fox. Last December, they admitted that they had issues, uh, specifically with the live events. They promised to change and fix them, and they haven't. Uh, houses are down. The ratings have been stagnant. Uh, so they brought in Heyman and Bischoff. They sort of ended the brand split with the wild card rule. They broke the emergency glass and brought the Undertaker back, and they put the title back on Brock. And then last night was the we got to bring every star back for one night show to pop a rating. And they did get the rating up. And I'm sure, well, listen, here's the other thing too. It's like, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that really like the show. And that's great if you really like the stuff. And some of the nostalgia stuff was fun. But it totally came at the wrong time, in my opinion, because you're three weeks out, out of SummerSlam. And I'm sorry, it's still a big pay-per-view. I think your program should be focused on building to that show. And so you had the potential for the bigger audience, and you got it here. And I think you wasted it because you didn't shoot any kind of major angle to make the most out of it. To put over a current star, to make people tune in for next week. I mean, what what is it going to mean next week? I mean, who got over? Who really got elevated? Who came out looking better than they went in? I guess the best argument is Bray Wyatt, but other than that, it's just nobody. It was just the same nostalgia fest they always put on, and for me, it's become diminishing returns. I lived through the era. I about died when Sami Zayn said watching this show was like watching the Attitude Era through the Face app. Best line of the night. Yeah, so I mean, maybe the show just isn't for me, 
And that's fine. I, I, I can appreciate if people enjoyed this show and they had a good time watching it. And they thought it was harmless nostalgia. But to me, it's part of a bigger problem for the company because there's still a lack of building stars. You don't really have a big group of stars. You have Brock, who they think is a giant star, and Brock helped them get the billion-dollar TV deals. You had Ronda Rousey, who was the same thing, helped them get the billion-dollar TV deals, but she's gone. Seth Rollins looked like the uh, the kid left out of the dodgeball game when the big click was doing the big hug spot before they brought him in for the ending thing. And it's just like... Everybody else just looked like dudes. And I think the best thing I saw on Twitter was this show did an excellent job of making me remember how much fun wrestling used to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even know if it did that. I guess so. But it didn't make me remember anything. I, I guess unless you're just talking about like it's bad now. And so I remember how great it used to be with these guys. I don't think like any segment really made me remember like, Oh yeah, this was really fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like th- this is what they always do with these reunion shows. They're, they're designed to pop a rating. They do that. And I, I think they actually do more harm than good because people see like, Hey, these new guys kind of suck compared to all these old guys. So we're definitely like, even the, the fans who tune in every week where they're just like, Oh yeah. Like this show kind of sucks now. Why am I wasting three hours of my life watching it every week? Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. Like I said, I guess, uh, the show just isn't for me. I, I wasn't ever expecting like a wrestling heavy show or anything, but I just, I think that the show really came at the wrong time when you should be building to SummerSlam. And that's you know, my opinion. And again, I, I think it's perfectly fine if people really enjoyed the show and you had a good time watching. But it's just, it was still a long three hours. And, you know, I mean, it were, there was a little bit of fun, but it wasn't like I, when that show was over, I was like, God damn, that was a great show or anything. So, But, um... We'll stick with WWE before we hit the New Japan, Jeremy. Uh, Seth Rollins is, uh, he's trying his best to be the company man. And he's, uh, talked a lot lately. He had his little feud with Will Ospreay on Twitter. Talked about how WWE is the best wrestling in the world. And then he was talking to Will Ospreay about, look, look at my bank account, which is just like, that's how you know you're triggered and have to dig deep. And when do you go for that morsel? It's like, okay, just, uh, that's like the desperate thing there, man. Come on. And he's kind of continued that. He's, he's doubled down on the, they're the best company. And no, listen, nobody's going to argue that WWE is the biggest company in the world, the most profitable company in the world with those TV deals coming up. But you're going to sit here and try to say that you have the best wrestling in the world. And that's just not the case, especially with the G1 happening right now. And then he sits there and he's trying to talk down to guys like Osprey and he's like, I've been where you are and you've never been where I've been, so you don't know what it's like. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm rather positive Seth Rollins never worked in New Japan. Now, I think when he's saying that, he's just talking down to indie guys, but he never worked in New Japan, so don't sit there. And, dude, Seth isn't even like a top 10 guy or 15 guy in New Japan. No offense. I mean, if we're counting NXT, I'm not sure Seth is a top 10 guy in WWE. 
Dude, there was an argument a couple weeks ago that he's not even like top five on 205 Live. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, but I mean, what do you think about uh, Seth Rollins? Company man or is he a triggered company man? Uh, I don't have a big issue with this compared to everyone else. I, like, I've seen a lot of people just trying to dunk on Seth Rollins and like, like, what do you want him to say in these interviews? Like, he's not going to say, oh yeah, like we're a really good wrestling product, but if you want something better, go watch new Japan. Like that's, uh, you know, he, he's not going to say that shit. Um, does he take it a little too serious or, or get triggered? Yeah, probably a little bit. Like the the whole Osprey argument was dumb. At least he like realized that was dumb and apologized for it. Like Seth is clearly emotional and passionate about what he does and the product that WWE puts on, and he's the face of the company, so he's got to defend it. So I, I don't hold that against him. Like who hasn't tweeted emotionally um, when when you're passionate about something? thing like we've all been there so I, I don't hold any of that against him people want to compare him to like a roman would never say this or john cena would never say this like it's a different era especially compared to john cena like john cena didn't have to deal with any competition when when he was on top like who was the closest maybe tna for a bit like new japan was not nearly as hot as they are now um you know, AEW didn't exist. There was really no competition. So Cena wasn't fielding questions about, hey, how, you know, what do you think of this wrestler in this company and all this stuff? Even Roman wasn't fielding those questions too much. And Roman definitely gave more diplomatic answers. And Roman knew how to stay off of uh, social media during a lot of this stuff. So he wasn't tweeting emotionally. Uh, Seth is just a different guy. I, I really don't have an issue with, with what he's been saying. It's made for good content. And hey, that's fine by me. I, I do think some people are actually like, it's wrestling. There's a chance he's actually working a little bit at this point. He's like, oh, they want headlines. I'm going to give them headlines. I'm going to keep WWE's name out there and stuff. Like, all right, people are going to criticize him, especially reporters and stuff, but we're still watching the product. Uh, and it might hurt. Other fans might see it. It might turn off the product. Uh, those fans probably aren't watching it all that much anyway nowadays. And like, even if Rollins gave a politically correct answer he's not going to bring them back like the actual product being better is is how you get more people to tune in like seth rollins isn't alienating fans by by saying any of this stuff yeah and i, I largely agree with what you're saying it's uh, the thing is is like you said he's he is a company man he's one of the top guys you can't expect him to go you know what we are okay man but god damn i watched the new japan show the other night and those fuckers were awesome I mean, yeah, I mean, he's not going to say anything like that, even if he might think that. He's not going to say he watched something else that was better than his product. He's going to defend his company. He's going to defend his position, and I'm I'm largely fine with that. It's just the way he says some things just comes off really bad. Like, I died at the whole talking about Moxley, and now he's trying to take food off my table. Now, let me correct Seth Rollins on this one. The fact that AEW is around and has a major TV deal, and the fact that New Japan has become an important product and is hot has drastically changed the wrestling pay scale. If you don't have AEW coming into what they have and new Japan heating up, the Canelises aren't making $500,000 a year each. You know, they're not throwing money at people like that. 
to keep them. Jinder Mahal and, and uh, fucking Mojo Raleigh aren't getting re-signed for five years. The reason that your friends and your company are making more money is because of these other companies and because Vince doesn't want to lose. And I'm not saying, I, I, and I'm not saying he's going to lose, but my thing is that when Vince gets focused on something and it's a war situation, he unloads all the artillery. And I they get have what the Rollins do stuff. Yeah, I get what Rollins was saying there. Um, you know, it's it's a competition like AEW. They are in a way taking food off of Seth Rollins' table. Like they're they're gonna steal fans, and, and they're they've got this TV deal. Like they're coming for that spot. And if they do, like WWE is not in danger of losing money or going out of business or anything. But if you look at it in terms of a war, like this is this is what's happening. Like, all right, sure, Mojo Raleigh is is getting more money, and Jinder Mahal is getting more money. Like Rollins is probably getting a bigger downside whenever his his contract is up. What's he making off of pay per view and the network right now? What's he making off of you know television? What's he making off of live events that are doing like five hundred fans? Like that's that's not a AEW issue. Like they were losing these fans before AEW became a thing, um, but. AEW is not going to help them with, with their fan base. It, it needs to be just a better product. I really Vince is taking food off of his table because the the product isn't good right now, and and that's hurting business overall. Um, again, I don't have an issue with these comments by Rollins. He doesn't say things in the most thought out way, and I think that kind of makes him uh, more human in my eyes. Uh, but he he says things he's always been kind of a dick like just go back and watch his promos this guy just like kind of acts like a dick all the time so i'm not surprised that he's making these kind of dickish comments as well uh i don't know i like seth rollins i think he's been entertained far more entertaining with these headlines than he is on on screen right now i i love this gimmick on screen honestly like make him this like dickish heel he sucks as a baby face yeah, and you know, it's like I I get why he's doing it, I get why he's defending the company, but it's like I don't know, like I'm sure he's very happy cuz he he wanted to be in WWE. I'm sure he's making great money. But I also sit there and when I listen to some of these comments, um I almost wonder like is he a little jealous of John Moxley? You it's know, cause, possible. Cuz I mean, yeah, Moxley it's... left on his own accord and I know some people don't like to hear this, but he became the hottest thing in wrestling. And he's had great matches, and he seems completely happy and reinvigorated. And I mean, Seth Rollins is stuck there working with Baron Corbin and bad on-screen angles with Becky Lynch, and he's feuding with Brock again. And I don't know. Again, he may be perfectly happy, and that's fantastic. But I mean... I don't know. Every once in a while, I kind of read the comments or listen to the tone of his voice in the interview. And it's like, I wonder if maybe deep down, maybe he is a little jealous. And I mean, that's that's normal, I think, of just being human and everything. But it's uh, I think it's an interesting uh, theory, you know. It's it's possible that, that he's jealous. I think Seth Rollins almost looks at this as like a new challenge because fans are... Uh, going towards AEW and boosting them and, and boosting uh, New Japan. And like, 
I, I don't think Rollins is a dumb guy. He probably notices that, yeah, maybe this isn't the best pro wrestling on the planet, but I have to say this regardless because what else am I going to say? And he like takes it as a challenge of – I'm the face of this company. I need to step up and do something. Like we don't know what's going on with Seth Rollins behind the scenes. How often he's going to events and trying to pitch different stuff and whatnot. So he's just trying to go out there and be company guy. And like this was his dream to get to WWE, main event, WrestleMania, all of that stuff. They've turned him into a huge star. Like Tyler Black was was fine on the independent scene. Like he was ROH champion. And whatnot, you never really heard of Tyler Black like lighting the business on fire on the independent scene or, or doing these, you know, it's set to be like this next big star. Like I, at least I didn't. Like I never, I thought Tyler Black was was just fine, but I never thought of him as like, yeah, this is this guy is about to be a main event player in WWE for years to come, and like they they boosted him to that position and he's probably uh grateful for that and probably feels like he he owes vince and wwe a lot for that so it's tough to get into the mind of 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 seth rollins based on media comments that may or may not be like scripted out for him yeah and honestly like to me it's like it makes for great headlines which is good for business and all but I kind of wish that everybody would just shut the fuck up about the other companies and just make your own goddamn product really good. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I completely agree. This was another thing that I didn't like at Fight for the Fall and his Cody's out here like, you can't counter-program this and, and all this stuff. Like, all right, cool. Just put on a good product. And, and that was your worst show of, of the three as well. And... I mean, that's a like make it all about money, but you donated one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and like that's a that's a big contribution. But when WWE donates shit, like they're they're giving like millions and stuff, and you're backed by a billionaire. Like you you can't give more for this giant check. Like don't tell me like you can't counter program this, and then WWE can easily counter program your charity efforts. Yeah, I just I just want everybody to focus on their own damn shit and fix your own problems and cuz that's the thing. I mean, if, I I think when people focus on their own stuff and try to make it better, it's just better overall. And, and people are like, "Well, don't you remember the attitude era and like ECW took cheap shots all the time and blah blah blah." It's like, "Yeah, and it became annoying after a while to be honest." Especially when it just became like everybody doing it like, "Oh my god." The worst thing about WCW during that whole time was every motherfucker that came in had to give the back when I was in New York speech. You know, and it's yeah, like why like why do you think WWE actually kind of won the war? It's because outside of Waltman, like who really took shots at Bischoff that that jump ship? Like they just came in and they were and they were WWE guys. And Meanwhile, if you jumped to WCW, you you know you had to cut the promo. You you whatever you did in WWE like had to be mentioned. Obviously, Bischoff was was giving out results and like always like Bischoff went on television and and challenged Vince McMahon to a fight. I, I guess DX did the invasion, but that was actually really smartly done and not just hey let's take a cheap shot. That was hey let's put on like this show long skit where. 
you know, if w, if WCW was smart, like they they would have actually let them in. But like it wasn't like just some random cheap shot and hey, let's take uh, let's do a shoot promo because we were unhappy in this promotion. It was let's make this part of our television and show everyone that these guys are kind of pussies. Um, like just focus on your own shit. Like you don't need to mention the the competition. That's what got TNA in trouble. They fucking had to mention WWE every single week, and it's like all right knock it off like don't do that stuff and wwe is treading dangerously with i guess they're not outright mentioning aew at least not on screen outside of Sami Zayn's weird little comment uh but talking about it so much in in the media and i get you're gonna have to be asked questions about this stuff and you got to come up with some answer like there's a difference between the triple h answer where it's very stock and uh, the Seth Rollins answer where he goes very in-depth and tries to, like, bury the other promotions. Yeah, and my thing is, it's like, WWE, when you look at the roster of talent they have overall, they have way too many talented people for this company not to be better. Behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, everything. This company should be so much better. And that's what I would like them to focus on. Just focus on being a great company. I think AEW has a ton of great talent. I want them to focus on that and putting on a good alternative. I don't give a shit about Cody bashing thrones and talking about counter-programming and all that bullshit. Just put on a good product. If you put on a good product, people will find you. You have a good television deal. It's not like you're stuck in Impact's position where you're on Pursuit and Twitch. They're expanding their coverage on Twitch. Well, yippee. <laughs> Good for them. I mean, I, I feel bad for them, honestly. But, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, just focus on your own shit. Make your own stuff good. Speaking of good stuff, Jeremy, we're going to move on to that right now. We're going to talk about the G1 Climax Tournament, which is ongoing. And it has been really, really fucking great so far. And we're going to kick off with uh, coverage in Night 2, because uh, we already covered Night 1. That was the Dallas show in the U.S. Night 2 kicked off with Juice Robinson defeating Shingo in almost 15 minutes. Your thoughts? Um, I've, binge, I've binge-watched all the these matches in the last two days. So, as I was telling you off the air, my, my takes are, are piping hot, because I've put them in the microwave, but... They're maybe not so fresh, uh, but at least everything is fresh in my mind. I love this match. I thought Juice was was great. Shingo, you know, proved he can step up and, and compete with the heavyweights. Not that that was really in in anyone's doubt. A little surprised that Shingo won or Shingo lost because I thought they would want to establish him um, early on to to show that he can yeah he can beat these heavyweights. And, and Juice is he's going to be around the 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 mid area um and his block uh but they they wanted to get juice off to a hot start because he typically he's been not so hot in in the g1 so i i get that there uh but overall like like a great match and i think all right maybe i question shingo losing a little bit but not like anything to where i'm like this is an outrage yeah um i i I was i thought it was a little odd i thought juice would lose here but uh because he kind of notoriously gets off to a slow start but uh yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, like you said, Shingo stepped up. He shows he can go with the heavyweights. Juice was, excuse me, really great here as well. Just um, everything clicked. Um, and for the opening of the B block, I thought it got them off to a great start, start hot start. 
And uh, yeah, nice to see Juice pick up the win, and he's he's looking fired up in this tournament so far. Yeah, Juice. Um, he, he needs a good G one run, and and Shingo's gonna be fun. Exactly. Next up was uh, John Moxley defeating Tai Chi. Tai Chi was a dick as usual and attacked him before the bell. They did a lot of brawling and stuff, and um, Tai Chi eventually got put through a table. Moxley pinned him. Good match. Um, I like the Moxley matches so far because uh, it's it's in a way it's like the Yano matches in a way that he's bringing something that nobody else is bringing to the G1 and it breaks things up and makes him a little different. And he just, again, he feels fresh and re-energized. So he's off to a good start. Yeah, uh, Tai Chi sucks. Moxley, I, I thought this match was was fine. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be anything special because it featured Tai Chi and Moxley has bigger things to do than trying to kill himself against Tai Chi, even though he still tried to do it in this match as well. Yeah, so fun stuff. Uh, Toriyano defeated Tetsuya Naito in uh, just under four minutes in the first really big upset of the tournament. Uh, you had all of your Yano shenanigans, including pulling the shirt over his head and stuff, and uh, low blow and cradle. Uh, Yano off to a big start over Naito. Love this match. My my favorite match of the tournament. Obviously, pretty surprising that that Yano would win, but Yano should should win this whole thing because why not? Um, it, I love Yano Chi one matches. I, I don't care if they're kind of all the same and they're they're campy and whatnot. I Yano is is so great and uh, I I don't know. I, I love I love Yano and yeah, Naito losing pretty surprising. Yeah, and I get why a lot of people don't like the Yano matches. Like from a match quality standpoint, they're, they're stupid. That's why. Well, yeah, from a match quality standpoint, cause I think everybody's just expecting you get all these really good to great matches throughout the G one. And from a match quality standpoint, the matches aren't really good. But, again, they're a needed diversion and break. They're a night off for certain guys. And, again, a variety is the spice of life. And the crowd loves it. So, I mean, it, it, whenever the crowd starts hating it, then you can kind of reevaluate it. But I think for now it's fine. And it's just, uh, yeah, it adds something different and it's fun. Yano's the best. Next up, uh, Big Tom Ishii defeated the adorable Hawaiian Buddha, Jeff Cobb, uh, just over 18 minutes. I thought this was excellent stuff. Big lads beating the shit out of big lads and just pretty much everything I wanted from this match with Big Tom pulling out the first big win for himself. Love this match. Um, never really a question that, that this match would be bad or anything like that because Ishii's awesome and, and Jeff Cobb is awesome. Uh yeah, just a just a great match and Ishii is putting in a strong tournament as as we'll talk about a little bit later. Exactly. And the main event of night 2 was Hiroki Goto defeating Jay White just over 21 minutes, finally getting Jay White uh revenge on Jay White for White just being a total asshole to him for a long time. And it's uh it's a trend that will play out here as Chaos starts getting some revenge on Jay White for his turn last year. Thought the match was very good and it was nice to see Goto win. He's in great shape and uh nice to see some comeuppance on Jay White. Yeah, I thought the match was was good, not not quite great. I have a hard time with Goto and this this like this was a story that made sense and as you as you said we will talk about 
Jay White uh, is kind of arc so far in the G1, which has been really well booked. Um, Goto, I have a tough time getting into, and it's because he's failed so often, and it's because like he should seem like kind of a star in this tournament, but he's almost just like a forgotten guy because like you got Kenta, you got Moxley, uh, you got Osprey, like these are like the new guys in the tournaments who you're really excited for. Even like a guy like like Jeff Cobb, you obviously got your big stars like Ibushi, Naito, um, Okada, and, and Tanahashi. And even a guy like Shingo is also a new guy that that you're excited for. And then even a guy like Ishii, you're like, oh, yeah, like this guy, he fucking rules. Like last year's G1 was awesome. And Goto's never bad in the G1, but it's like this guy's just kind of he's there. And so I have a tough time getting into his matches because of that. But this match was good and Goto winning was not surprising once you kind of saw how how things played out with, with Jay White. Yeah, and it made sense. And like you said, we'll talk about the story later on. So we will move on to night three here, which was back to A block action. And uh, we started off with Lance Archer defeating Bad Luck Ballet in just over 10 minutes. Uh, A surprisingly good match because Lance Archer has been really good in this tournament so far. Uh, Actually pulled something watchable out of Ballet, which I greatly appreciated. Archer's been strong in this tournament. We'll talk about him a little bit later on with the the Tanahashi match. But yeah, he pulled off a a solid match with with Fale, and that's not always easy to do. So I I'm impressed with Lance Archer, and I and I said it uh, I after this match I tweeted out like Archer is the guy who should be getting a decent push out of this, and by that I mean put the like the the U.S. title on him like. I don't know how much they can kill off Moxley, but if Archer not necessarily squashes Moxley, but just looks like a complete beast against him, like imagine what that does for his career in New Japan moving forward. Yeah, I um I, I wrote I think in my last review that um this is the dude that they need to make the new monster and fucking keep fouling in tag matches. Yeah, because I'm fine I with mean that. Lance has been so good here. He looks Dude's like 42. He had back surgery a couple years ago, but he, like, kind of like talking about Moxley, he looks so re-energized right now, and he's just, he's just delivering flat out. No complaints from me at all with him. So it's and it's great to see. I like seeing guys like that get a big rebound. Yeah, he he's been great this tournament. So uh, next up, Will Osprey defeated Sonata. Hair over 17 minutes. Your thoughts? Uh, good. I mean, Will Ospreay fucking rules, so not not a surprise there. Sonata. Um, we'll talk about his his tournament a little bit more moving forward. Like he's not winning, but he's putting on really really great matches, and he's kind of. I don't know if he's putting it together in the ring because he's always had this ability, but he's he's really turned it up a notch in this tournament. I, I still wish they would just do a little bit more with him as far as. A singles run because he's kind of run run dry with the tag team i mean the whole new japan tag team divisions run dry uh but like i see sonata as a guy who can hold the intercontinental title very respective uh respectably and like they don't seem to see him that way and i hope this g1 run which has been really good so far as far as uh in-ring 
match quality and even like getting over like the guy's getting over as well he's getting uh really good responses so i i hope this does a lot for sonata um yeah i mean it's osprey and sonata like it's, it's gonna be great and it was great yeah i thought it was excellent uh just some incredible athletic stuff between these guys and um, just everything seemed to click for me. And like I said, Sonata just, he's delivering. And I would like to see them do more with him as well. But um, yeah, cause especially because the tag scene is just so dead there and means nothing. Uh, it would be great to see him do something else. So uh, yeah, an icy title run would be really cool. And uh, just whatever, man. As long as it gets them in the mix of something different, they chance to keep delivering. Uh, next up, Okada defeated Zack Sabre Jr. just over 12 minutes. Uh, I thought this match was great. I also thought it was refreshing to have Okada in the middle of a card and kind of work a shorter match and a slightly different style match. Um, he's obviously Okada's great. Zack Sabre Jr. is fucking great. Uh, they work really well together, and uh, this delivered for me. Uh, the match did not count as Taka was not there. Fair enough. I God, I miss Hype Man Taka. I, I always love Zack Sabre Jr. He's one of my favorite wrestlers to watch because he's just so smooth. Okada's great. Like he's he's never gonna have a bad match against a guy like Zack Sabre Jr. Oh yeah, the, this this all worked. And I'm with you on Okada being kind of lower down on the card. Uh, I blame that once again on Taka. Taka's there. This is the main event, but they they realize that these Zack Sabre Jr. matches don't actually count um, against his G1 record, and that's going to be revealed after this whole tournament is over. Fair enough. I appreciate the conspiracy theory. It's good stuff. (laughs) Uh, Next up, Evil defeated Kota Ibushi just over 19 minutes. Uh, I thought this was really great as well. Um, Everything worked really well between them. Uh, Kind of different styles with Evil being a little more power-based and Ibushi obviously being quick and athletic. Uh, Just really good stuff again, man. It's just... uh, yeah, this was one of the better cards overall, I think. Just a lot of matches that were just delivering, and crowd was hot, and um, just big win for Evil over Ibushi, who found himself in a hole early on. And the booking has really thrown me off because I, I tried my best to avoid kind of spoilers going into uh, my, my binge watch of stuff. Um, and I was very surprised to see... Abushi losing to Evil because after Abushi dropped his opening match to to Kenta, like it would seem like all right, yeah, Evil is an easy rebound win because Abushi is going to be near the top of of this tournament, and no, he he lost. So uh, I they've, they've got a lot of interesting ways that that this can play out in the in the next couple of weeks. Uh, good match, Abushi uh, is is going to have a good match with just about anybody, whether he's legitimately hurt with the ankle or any other injury like he abushi doesn't give a fuck like he's still gonna go out there and try to kill himself whether he's injured or not um and evil like i'm not a huge fan of his work overall but i i liked him in this match fair enough uh and main event was kenta defeating hiroshi tanahashi in just over about 18 and a half minutes i uh, thought it was another great match on the card kenta feeling more comfortable as the tournament goes on Looking really strong, and uh, Tanahashi finds himself taking another loss, like Ibushi and Zack Saber. So you had a uh, three surprising zero and twos early on there. Yeah, um, yeah. The the booking has been kind of, I, it's not questionable. It's just it's interesting. It's it's fun to. Th- this is why like something like the G one, especially as as stacked as as this field is uh, this year 
it is fun to get into because you see guys fall behind and it's like, oh, well, now he's got to beat this guy if he's going to be as high as we think he's going to be, but maybe he's not going to be that high and they're going to elevate someone new. Like, it's just, it's cool to watch it all um, play out. And, and Kenta, they, they clearly have big things for it because uh, he hasn't lost yet. And he's, he's looked good. This was a match where it's, he's in there with the right guys. I, I'm not questioning Kenta. I never questioned Kenta's like in ring ability. Uh, it was always just, can he hold up through the tournament? And that still remains to be seen until he gets to the final night and is still uh, w- looking good. Um, but he, he turns in another good performance here, and, and Tanahashi is still Tanahashi. Like, we can doubt the man all we want. It comes G1 time. The, the guy turns into super god worker, as always. He does, and it's honestly, it's it's always amazing and always great to see. So, yeah, so. Another, a very strong night for night three. Very enjoyable stuff. And so we will move on to night four, which was back to B-block action. Shingo picking up a win over Toriyano, uh, just over six minutes. A lot of Yano shenanigans as always. I thought this was a better wrestling match. Solid overall. But again, a lot of fun. Wrong man won. How dare you. <laughs> I love Toriyano. He's the best. Should have won this match. But yeah, Shingo definitely needed a win, so that was good. Uh, Juice Robinson went 2-0, and defeating Hiroki Goto next. Uh, 12 minutes, 25 seconds. Your thoughts? And this is why I, I just have the, a tough time getting into Goto, uh, because he picks up this big win against Jay White, and then he uh, loses to, to Juice Robinson. And not that there's anything wrong with Juice Robinson, but Juice Robinson is kind of a mid-card guy, and if you're going to present Goto as better than that, then he should have started off uh, 2-0, and and that didn't happen. Um, that match was good. Uh, I Juice has been like he's been strong through his two matches in this tournament. And again, this is no knock on on Juice Robinson. It's just simply how they've been presented leading up to this, and why I have trouble getting into Goto. But I thought Juice came out of this match looking even better. And if they push him further up like i think he's elevated from the the u.s title and can go into like he could be an intercontinental title guy now and and hopefully that's what kind of comes for him uh out of um the out of this g1 run or a never title reign but i guess that's probably a step down from the u.s title uh in a way it is but it's also defended more regularly i think so, I mean, he would be on more cards and have a chance to main event smaller shows. So, yeah, I mean, either either way, I think, um, yeah, Juice definitely having a really good run so far, and hopefully it pays off for him. I thought the match was very good. I was a little surprised to see Goto lose after getting that big win over Jay White because it kind of felt like they were building up for an early run, like a redemption run for him. And then it was like, eh, nope, you lost again. So, And I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it just – kind of threw me off a bit but yeah it's same you know same same complaint i have that come on now either present goto as a guy who's a top guy or keep telling me he's a geek and that's how i'll keep reacting to him fair enough uh next up john moxley defeated the adorable hawaiian buddha jeff cobb just under nine minutes via pin uh good match again uh moxley out brawled the uh traditional wrestler Overcame the power and uh, picked up another win. Uh, he's having a good start to the tournament so far. 2-0 and 2 good matches. 
I'd like to see them get longer. Like this match went what, like nine or ten minutes, and it, you know these two have a, a better match in them. And this is also a night where I don't think the crowd was was super hot, and so it, it was tough for. You know, if the crowd's not into it, it's tough for fans watching at home to get into it as well. Uh, so I'd like to see them have a longer match in front of uh, a better crowd. I would too, definitely, definitely. Um, so, but yeah, it was good stuff. And uh, moving on, so come in event, Big Tom Ishii defeated Jay White in just over 19 minutes. Uh, Chaos goes 2-0 and over Jay White, giving him revenge for last year. I uh, thought they had a great match here. Uh, Jay White did a lot of really, really good things. And Ishii is just fucking Ishii, man. He's so great. Yeah, Ishii's awesome. Jay White is much better than any casual will probably give him credit for. And he's, I mean, he's putting guys over in this tournament. Not that, you know, Ishii needs like a huge put over, but. After losing to to Goto, like this again, this is where you think, oh, okay, Jay White's not going to start zero and two. Like they've got plans for this guy. He's he's a former champion. He he will be okay. And no, like he here he is losing to Ishii. So, uh, yeah, Jay Jay White's great. Ishii is really really great, and they had a great match. Yeah, and I I really like the story of Chaos getting some revenge early on from last year over him. So and, uh, I like that booking. And uh, the main event was Tai Chi defeating Tetsuya Naito in 21 minutes via pin. Jeremy, apparently this match has been very polarizing. I've seen a lot of people say it was great, bordering on excellent, and one of Tai Chi's best matches ever. What? I, I thought it was perfectly solid, but overbooked. This match fucking sucked. Oh, there you go. I- as a main event of a of a G one show, like this match sucked. I I think when we did our like bangers preview um, a while back, like I remembered the the match they had for the um, Intercontinental Title, and you know they did that whole ordeal where Tai Chi killed Naito, and then it looked like the match was never going to happen. But the night, God, that whole thing was terrible. Like. I don't know what it is with these two. They just keep them away from each other because Tai Chi looks terrible every time. Naito just doesn't seem like he gives a fuck, and it's not good. I I hated this match. Yeah, Tai Chi busted out the uh, Izuka Iron Fingers and picked up the win. Yeah, I I was not a fan of this. I know some people seem to really like it, and that's that's cool. Who liked this match? I saw a bunch. There was a bunch of people in my review telling me I completely underrated it, and they thought it was great. And you are outing yourself as just the biggest New Japan stan in the world because this match was not good. Yeah, I thought it was solid at best. It just, it, like you said, especially for a main event, just uh, under delivered for me. So, suck. Uh, tai Chi sucks. There you go, Jeremy. Don't hold back. <laughs> And due to an unexpected power outage, that will bring us to a close here on episode 38 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Jeremy and I will be back uh, probably in a few days. We will keep catching up on the G1. But I want to thank you all for taking time to listen to the show. Remember, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, 
Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. And if you have time, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. For Jeremy, I am Larry Zonka. Uh, Have a nice night and day, everybody, and happy wrestling.